what we were talking about last week. So let me pray and then we'll get right into the word. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to, to study your word, to look at your word, to hear what you have to say. Father, we thank you that you are showing us what it is to be a Christian, what it is to live in your kingdom and the, the authority that we have as believers that you have restored back to us. Father, right now I pray that whatever has gone on this week, whatever's gone on today, whatever pressures are, are on our life right now, Father, I thank you that we cast those cares right now. I thank you there's no distractions, no confusion, because this is the most valuable thing to us is the, is the time spent in your word. So, Father, I thank you right now that we're able to cast all that off. We're able to lay those weights aside, lay those thoughts aside, put all that down, whatever has been going on with the kids or the bills or the job or, uh, you know, family, whatever is going on, Father, we're able to put all that aside so we can clearly hear your word. We can receive what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes you have to come prepared. In fact, you always need to come prepared, you know, and I'm preparing to give you something, but you need to be preparing to receive something. And you know, when you come on Sundays and Wednesdays, this isn't just casual. This is, you know, God's got something to say. And, you know, we've had long weeks. There's things going on in our lives. But, you know, for the next 45 minutes to an hour, you know, we're going to receive the word. And uh, we need to be able to cast all those weights, all those cares off so we can re, uh, freely receive the word and, uh, and grow from it. Amen. When you read about the parable of the sower, it didn't have anything to do with the seed. It had to do with the soil. And you want to be good soil and you want to till that ground. Amen. Um, turn with me to Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea 4, verse 6. This is where we started last week. And, and we're talking about the authority of the believer. And um, for a lot of us, it's a new concept. And I told you last week that we're going to get in depth. This is one of those. I have no timeline. I have no time frame. I'm not in a rush with these messages um, because this is stuff that's not talked about a whole lot. Um, it may be brand new to you, but even in that, I still have to break down some things. I have to destroy some things in one sense uh, because um, it, some stuff that you may hear may be contrary to what you've grown up hearing or what you know about the word or uh, you know, those different things. So uh, look at this in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a, for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priests for me. So, we have to understand that God is saying here to his people, you, my people are being destroyed. My people are being wiped off the planet, not because they don't have the resource, not because of who they are or they're not capable or able to overcome, but because they don't know something. And so what he's saying here is what you don't know will kill you. What you don't know will destroy you. And this has been the position of the church for too long is we've gone by not knowing something. We've gone by being ignorant about different things uh, about our lives and who we are now that we're in the kingdom of God. And uh, we have minimized 
the lifestyle of the believer very much uh, to the point that now it's just very simple to address, hey, you just need to say a prayer. It's just about a prayer. And most people don't even know what they're praying. Uh, so, you know, we may get into it with this series, but you need to know what, the, what that means. What does it mean to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Let's break down those words. Make Jesus the Lord of my life. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to ask Jesus into my heart? I mean, these are so cliche terms, Christianese almost, that it's just so churchy that we just throw it out there without even really, well, what does that mean to make him the Lord? of What's a Lord? Who's Jesus? What part of my life is he Lord over? What part of my life is he not Lord over? We, we have to ask these questions. And so we've, we've minimized the word just so we can get more bodies through the door. But the ones that are in the door don't know what they're doing. And to be honest with you, it's really questionable if we ever really got people in the door. Uh, I know there's been times in my life where, you know, I come into more knowledge and I'm thinking, well, man, what was I doing before I knew that? I, I mean, you know, I grew up in it as a child, but was I saved just because I grew up in church or just because I prayed the prayer when I was a kid that I really know what I was doing? You know, those different kind of questions. I'm not trying to cause people to doubt your belief and doubt your faith and doubt if you're going to heaven. That's not what it's about. But what I want to help us understand is what took place when we became a believer? What took place when we became a Christian? What, what changed in my life? What have I been given? What was taken away? Where am I going? What am I supposed to do today? What, 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 am, what am I doing with this life now? And so the authority of the believer is something that hasn't been touched on. We saw last week in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. This is a verse that we just kind of skim over. We don't ever really look at it and we don't know what it means but it says for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ we saw this last week we started to break down some terms we saw that uh, you know if you have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you are now qualified. Qualified for what? To reign in life. Well, what does that mean, to reign in life? And we saw that reign means to rule, to dominate, to control, to govern. That's what it means to reign. Okay, well, if we go by those definitions, how many Christians do we know are reigning in life? That means you're calling the shots. But, you know, I, I personally know a lot of believers that they're not calling the shots in their life because sin is having their way, sickness is having their way, uh, financial lack is having their way, uh, and, and they really have no grip or control on anything. They just know one day I'm going to die and go to heaven. One day I'm going to get to get out of this whole mess. But all this is is just a big mess that I have to put up and deal with until I die. And I just need to be the best person I can be. Well, does that sound like reigning in life to you? It doesn't sound much like reigning in life. Yet, that's in the Bible. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Paul the apostle wrote that. And he said that because of what Adam did, uh, death reigned, meaning death had control. And you read the Old Testament and death has control. 
it forced people and it caused people to live a certain way. But now he's saying because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have the ability to reign in life. But we think the only thing Jesus did for us on the cross was get us to heaven. And it says reign, uh, one translation says to rule as kings in this life. That's what the Amplified says, to rule as kings in this life. There's nobody above a king. Nobody can tell a king what to do. He's calling the shots. He's governing the thing. He's dictating things. You can't go up to a king and tell him to do something because he's the one that has the control. So we have to reign as kings in life. So we saw this. There are two things that are required if you're going to reign. Every king has to have two things. And you have to have both. You can't have one or the other. You have to have both. To reign as a king, to rule, you first have to have authority. Somebody has to authorize you to be in that position. Otherwise, we could all just roam around and call ourselves kings without anybody authorizing us. But you must be authorized, so you must have authority. But the second thing is, is you have to have a domain. That means you have to have a territory that you rule over. You got to have a, a sphere of influence that you dominate and that you control with the authority you've been given. Because your authority is no good if you don't have a territory to control. And the territory is no good if you're not authorized to control it. Uh, I live in the United States. But I do not have the authority to control or call the shots in the United States of America. I'm not in that position. I, I live in Lowndes County, but I'm not in a position to call the shots in Lowndes County. I'm not on the government board. I, I, I'm not a chairman. I'm not a councilman. And I don't call the shots here in the county. Now, yes, this is a democ uh, democracy, but bottom line is I'm not passing anything. I'm not passing laws, and I can't go down. You know what? This road needs to be... 75 miles an hour, 45 is too low. We need to be able to go fast. I can't do that. But I do have a territory. My house is my territory. And I can go in my house and I can call the shots there and I say, no, we're not going to watch that. We're not going to listen to that. You're not going to act that way with my son. I, 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 now I have a territory. I have a sphere of influence that I can govern. I can control. And as the king of that house, nobody's telling me what to do. It doesn't mean I don't listen to anybody. It doesn't mean I can't receive from my wife or, you know, even from my son once he's old enough to start, you know, pouring into my life. The bottom line is it's not going to happen if I'm not making it happen. If, if I don't, you know, go up in my house and say, this is what time we're going to bed, I highly doubt Kingdom is just going to say, you know what? Eight o'clock is a good bedtime for me. I think I just want to go to bed at eight. No, he's going to want to stay up and eat chips and watch TV all night long. But when we got school the next day, eight o'clock is when we're going to bed. And from the king of that territory, I can call the shots. So you have to have a domain. Another word for it is jurisdiction. And you got to stay within your jurisdiction. And you got to know what your territory is. You've got to know where you have control and where you don't have control. And we talked last week, uh, you know, th this is Lowndes County and there's Lowndes County police. But then there's also 
uh, Valdosta police, and there's Hayhira police, there's Remerton police, there's Lake City, there's even VSU police. But then we can get even broader and we can get Georgia State Patrol, and then we can get U.S. Marshals, and then we can get FBI, and then we can keep broadening this thing. What is it? It's jurisdiction. So we got to understand territory, and we got to understand that we've been authorized, and that's where most people believe, or that's where most believers miss it. It's either in the authority side, do I have authority over that? Okay, sickness is trying to come into my body. Do I have authority over that? Do I just have to let it run its course and just hope that maybe God will one day mercifully take it away? Or do I actually have authority to say, no, in the name of Jesus, this sickness has to go? Do I have authority there? Then the question is, is what territory do I have control over? Because I can't force sickness out of your body because I, I don't have jurisdiction over your territory. You do. Now, I can pray the prayer of faith, and you can come into agreement with that, but that's your territory. That's not my territory. Okay? Uh, I, I don't have, uh, I can't go up into someone else's house. I can't go up into Brent and Lisa's house and say, uh, 10 o'clock is new bedtime. We're all going to bed at 10 o'clock. No, if they've said it for 7 or whatever, that's what time, and I don't have authority to go in there and say that. I don't have authority to go in their fridge and just grab whatever. I don't have authority to go plop on their couch and watch TV. And Brent's sitting there watching his show, and I'm, give me that. Change the channel. He's thinking, <laughs> I'm going to throw you out my TV. I'm going to throw you out of my house. Why? Because he's, he's an authority there. So I can't, we, we have to understand authority and domain or territory. So, uh, and and I, I'm obviously I'm not going to recap last week because if you were here last week, that was very, uh, we covered the whole Old Testament. And that was kind of cool. It was almost like we just went through all these books of the Bible like it was one book. Um, and if you weren't able to be here, uh, I think everyone was able to be here last week. But if you weren't, you know, you can go on there and get the message. And I would, uh, I'd encourage you, especially in these messages, that maybe sometime Monday or Tuesday, refresh your memory for Wednesday because what we said in the beginning is going to carry all the way through because, uh, you know, I'm probably going to have to hit on Genesis 1.26 and Romans 5.17 every single time because we went to Genesis 1.26 and we saw that God, when he created the earth, he created a territory, but he didn't authorize himself to control that territory. He authorized man, Adam, and Eve to control that domain, so that was their territory because uh, a kingdom is simply a king's domain. Well, God is king in heaven, but when he created the earth, he didn't uh, intend, the original intention was not to control and rule the earth from heaven. He expected man to do that. And so we saw in Genesis 1.26, he created man in his image and in his likeness. Why? He's authorizing him. He's saying, I'm going to make you just like me so you can make happen what I want to happen in that realm. But I don't have control. You call the shots. And so then we saw that Satan came in and uh, Adam and Eve, they didn't lose a religion. Adam and Eve didn't lose access to heaven. Oh, no, we don't get to go to heaven when we die because, one, they weren't supposed to die. And, two, they never weren't even looking about, uh, thinking about heaven. Heaven wasn't even in the, the, uh, the, the perspective. It was about 
this is where we are, this is what we're in control of. So what happened when they sinned? What happened when they disobeyed the king? They handed all the authorization and the territory over to Satan. They handed both the authority and the territory over to Satan. Because even Satan, he can't rule and reign if he doesn't have authority and territory. So question, who authorized the devil, Satan, to control the earth? Because we know even Jesus said, the God of this world, Satan, man did. He handed it over. Adam did. By sinning against God, handed over the authority to Satan to govern, to rule, to dominate, to control this realm here on earth. And that's why we see the death and the decay and, and the things that are taking place, the death reigning in this life through the one man, Adam. And what's the territory? The earth and everything on the earth. Because everything that was given to man, he handed over to Satan. So man had control over the earth, everything that creeps on the earth, the fish of the sea, birds of the air. And so now Satan has the authority and the territory. He has been authorized by man to rule over this territory. So we get through the Old Testament. And again, you know, we said last week, we've turned the Bible into just a few basic scriptures. And we start with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then we, you know, skip all through the Old Testament. And then we skip ahead to Jesus shows up. And then, he, you know, all we really look at is that he died on the cross and rose again and, and left us all here to you know, wallow in our suffering, but thank goodness we get to go to heaven. Then we skip from the cross all the way to Revelation, and then one day we get to walk on gold streets and go through pearly gates. And that we've summed the entire Bible up into like four or five basic things, when the Bible is way more than that. It's really interesting. If you go back and you read uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, uh, if you go back and even Paul, when he would stand before kings and uh, governors and uh, you know when he was standing trial and you read the stuff that he was saying he'd go all the way back to Abraham he would do just like I did last week he'd say let me tell you about Jesus but he'd go all the way back to Abraham and he'd talk about Moses and then when Moses went in and got the Israelites and took them out of the promised or took them out of Egypt and took them into the promised land and then and then God's people turned their backs on God even though they were living in the land that God had promised to give them and then uh you know god sent prophets and sent people to him to say hey you need to repent you need to turn from your ways and so that's what we did last week and we went through that and and, and you need to you need to listen to it again i mean i i went back and listened to it because there was stuff in there that i was saying that i was like man that's good <laughs> i need to take notes on my own message because that wasn't in my notes but i basically summed up the whole old testament because we don't really know what all went on there. And the Old Testament's bigger than the New Testament. But why why is there Isaiah and Jeremiah? What what are Obadiah and Habakkuk and Nehemiah and Zechariah and Malachi? What's all that about? What's going on? And basically to sum it up, it's God's people were delivered, but then turned their backs on him. Because Jesus hadn't come yet to restore the kingdom to earth. And so they're trying to do something in the natural terms natural ways but this is where i want to pick up tonight go to isaiah chapter 9 
Isaiah chapter 9. So I said all that to, to just to get us caught up to where we're at. Because we're talking about the authority of the believer. But if we don't understand that what God tried to do in the beginning is has been his intention this whole time, then, then we think God changed his plans and then we make up God's plans for him. And so we had to go back to the Old Testament. We had to see what's going on. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from the time from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this we've read this multiple times for Christmas but this is a verse where Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus and Jesus being born and Jesus coming to the earth but he prophesies about him not as the Messiah or even the Son of God. He prophesies about him as a government official, a king, bringing a government with him. So the prophecies of Jesus showed that this man was going to come to earth and not just redeem man from their sins, not just uh, give people access to heaven. That's what we've done. We've watered that down. We've minimized the message of Jesus to forgiveness of sins, access to heaven, saved from hell. But it's beyond that. It's more than that. Because Isaiah is talking about a man that's coming as a king, as a ruler, a prince. Everlasting Father, a wonderful counselor of the increase of his religion. No, it says of the increase of his government. You ever thought about Jesus as a government official? Probably not, because when we think of government officials, we don't have a real good base to go from. I mean, if I were to tell you right now, government is the answer to all of man's problems. You're thinking, government is the problem. Get rid of the government. But the problem is, is we have been trying futilely at trying to make governments, but nothing is going to match the perfect government that God established in Genesis chapter 1. And that's exactly what he established. He didn't establish a religion. Adam and Eve weren't Christians. Adam and Eve didn't go to church, and they didn't have a religion. And they didn't have a denomination. And Adam wasn't Pentecostal and Eve wasn't Baptist. And, you know, they didn't raise their kids in a Methodist church. And they didn't, you know, have a Presbyterian church down the street. They were in a government. They were in a kingdom. They were in a king's domain. And they were placed in that kingdom to rule over it and to have control over it and to call the shots. But they gave that away. So God has this problem. He's got this issue. How do I get the government back in my man's hands, mankind that I've created to rule over it? How do I get it back there? Because the problem is, is I'm the only one who can do that. 
but I can't do it. (laughs) I'm the only one that can do it, but I'm the only one that can't do it. Because I've limited myself, I've in essence excluded myself from the earthly realm because I've given man dominion. So his answer was Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 of the increase of his government. I'm going to send myself in the flesh so I can accomplish my will on the earth. You know, we just talked about that on Sunday in our honor series. And the way that God is accomplishing his will on the earth is through you and I. That's how he's getting it done. He's using man. Well, his will was to redeem mankind. His will was to get that kingdom back. His will was to get the territory back in the authorization of man. Because Satan has been authorized over the earth territory. But he's trying to get the authorization back to man to control the territory once again. So his plan, to send his son. So go over to Matthew chapter 4. I'm really trying not to draw this out any more than I have to, I promise. But I'm trying to hammer home some things. And I told you, I'm not in a rush. If I need to press a point, I will. I wanted to get through all of this last week. Basically, this is, um, the title of this message is, What You Need to Know, Part 2. Because we started this last week, and I wanted to cover all of it, but I told you, we'll take our time. I'm not in a rush. So go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is the first time Jesus preaches. It's the first time he opens his mouth uh, in a crowd and is proclaiming something. We know that as a boy, you know, when he was 12, he disappeared from his parents and, uh, You know, so he's had other opportunities, but this is the first time ministry-wise that he is uh, proactively going and proclaiming something. And look what he says, Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That, That term, at hand, means is near you, within your reach, is what he's saying. He's saying repent. Now, what you have to understand is that after the book of Malachi, and I think I touched on this last week, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And after that book, God doesn't say anything for 400 years. Doesn't say a word. His people have been taken into captivity. Israel has been, was taken originally in a captivity by Babylon and then was handed over through different kingdoms and through just other kingdoms taking over other kingdoms. And now they're in control by the Roman Empire, one of the greatest empires and kingdoms ever on the face of the planet. And Israel, the Jews, are in control by the Romans. They're being controlled by the Romans. Okay? The first time God shows back up after being silent for 400 years, they're called the, the silent years, those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. There's a man named John, John the Baptist that shows up, and he preached the same exact thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he saying? Repent means, it doesn't mean to come down to the altar and ask God to forgive you of your sins so you can go to heaven. That's what we've made it believe. But repent means to change your thinking. Change the way you think. 
Change your mindset. So John the Baptist shows up after God has been silent for 400 years, and he says, there is someone coming that is bringing a kingdom with him, and you're going to need to change the way you think about life. You're going to need to change. You're going to need to alter your mindset. Change the way you see things. Change the way you think, because there's somebody coming that's going to bring a mind-altering message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means within your reach. It means it's near you. Well, Jesus shows up, and he says the same exact thing. Repent. Change your thinking. Change the way you think. Remember what we've been saying. Uh, how you think determines how you live. How you think precedes your lifestyle. And so he's saying if you're going to live in the kingdom, you're going to have to think the kingdom. And so he's saying repent. Change your thinking because the kingdom of heaven is near. And you're going to have to think differently. Go on down to verse 23. Matthew 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. So this is what Jesus was doing. This is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God. He wasn't obsessed with heaven. I know uh, the, the minister that I heard preach the kingdom message that completely changed all this for me. He said uh, one night back in the 80s was when he first started getting the message and the Holy Spirit asked him and said, so what are you going to preach to the people? And I said, I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said, are you preaching the gospel about Jesus? The gospel of Jesus? Or are you preaching the gospel that Jesus preached? And he's thinking, well, they're the same thing. The gospel of Jesus is what Jesus preached. Because what's the gospel of Jesus? If I say, go preach the gospel to someone right now, most of us are going to say, there's a man named Jesus, and he came from heaven, and he died on a cross for your sins, and he rose again so you could have eternal life, so you could one day go to heaven. In fact, what's the question that we always ask? If you die today, where will you go? Isn't it interesting that we take the person who we're trying to save and take them all the way to the end of their life? We go, we go all the way to, we skip over. I mean, the question should be, if you're going to live tomorrow, what are you going to live for? That should be the question. But we've turned it into, if you were to die, if you were to leave this earth right now, where would you go, heaven or hell? That's, it's interesting. We just skip everything. And we get people to think about the death of themselves. And we get people to think about the end and What's going to happen when all this is gone away? And God's trying to say, I want you to think about how to make this different, where you're at. Because I've called you to, Romans 5, 17, reign in life. Not reign in the afterlife. <laughs> Not reign after you die. Not reign in death. Reign in life. The Amplified says to rule as kings in this life. And so... We've made the gospel of Jesus just about his death, burial, and resurrection. And that we get access to the heaven. So we come down, and you may remember the day that you prayed that salvation prayer. You prayed it, and you're thinking, yes, I get to go to heaven when I die. 
But when we look at the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus isn't the gospel about Jesus. It's not the gospel that we've turned it into. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel that Jesus preached. Well, what was he talking about? Go, I, go through the Bible tonight. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and show me how many times he talks about heaven. Go through the Bible tonight and show me how many times he talks about being born again and being saved. Count them. Then, draw a line down the middle of your page. And on the other side, write down how many times he talks about the kingdom. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I mean, in Matthew chapter 9, or cha Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, his disciples ask him, you know, teach us how to pray. And he says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Please save me from this earth so I can go to heaven one day. <laughs> no, it's not what he says. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will, whose will? God's will. Be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's so consumed and obsessed with the kingdom of God that even when he teaches his disciples to pray, he says your prayer needs to contain getting God's will and God's kingdom down here. See, religion tries to get man to heaven the kingdom gets heaven to the earth gets heaven back to man it changes the direction of it religion says do what we tell you to do say what we tell you to say go where we tell you to go and then you'll get to go to heaven the kingdom says do what the king tells you to do say what the king tells you to say Go where the king tells you to go, and you will find the heavens open up on the earth where you're at. So, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Again, we think Jesus came to die on the cross, but either Jesus was really confused about his mission or we've had it wrong. But Luke chapter 4 verse 43 says, But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God. I must proclaim, I must talk about the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Why? Because for this purpose, I have been sent. But Jesus, I thought you were sent to die on a cross. But Jesus, I thought that you were sent so you could forgive me of my sins. So that any time I sin, I could pray and you could cover it up. And I still get to go to heaven because, hey, remember I said that prayer. But that's not why he came. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have sent. I have been sent to the earth to bring back the kingdom that's been missing. That's why I'm here. And I'll get to the cross. I, look, I am not trying to devalue the cross at all. I am not trying to make that a small thing. But I am trying to put it in perspective. 
Because when you put it in perspective, it is a huge thing. Because none of it happens. None of what Jesus tried to do happens without the cross. But here's what we've done is we've made the cross the end all. And let's just go to the cross. And then we turn around and we walk away. And it's go to the cross and then get access to everything behind the cross. Okay? So Jesus has spent his life, spent his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. And then you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. The kingdom of God is like a, uh, a lost coin. The, the kingdom of God is like a dragnet. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like a, a man who owns fields. It's just, that's all he's talking about is the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So much that the people around him think that his movement and his advancements are political. And they see him as a man who's trying to overthrow the government that's in place. They see him as a threat. In fact, when he was born, the King Herod that was ruling when he was born heard about him. And he didn't hear about the Son of God. He didn't hear about the Messiah. He heard about a king. And the wise men showed up and says, hey, do you happen to know where the king has been born? Now, what's a king naturally going to do when he hears another king has been born? Got to get rid of him. Because you can't have two kings. And if this one grows up to be as great and mighty as they say, I'm going to lose my kingdom. And King Herod, being an insecure man anyways, he went out and killed every two-year-old in the land. And God had to go to Mary and Joseph and get Jesus out of town. And he had to stay there for a length of time until King Herod died. And then God told Joseph, all right, he's dead. You can go back. It's safe. We don't think about this stuff. Why? It wasn't because they're trying to take Jesus the Messiah out. It's because they're trying to take Jesus the king out. So he's going around and he's talking about this kingdom so much and he's calling himself a king so much that they decide we're going to have to kill him because people are starting to follow him. He's starting to draw a crowd. He's, starting, he's calling himself the son of God. He's calling himself the Messiah, the one that's going to redeem mankind. He's calling himself the one that's going to bring back the kingdom. What kingdom? Because right now all we have is Rome. All we have now is the Roman Empire, and if, if he's coming to take that, then he's going to overthrow the government that we have. So they took his movement as political, and they decide, we've got to kill him. We've got to get rid of him. Well, John chapter 18, you're wondering, what does this have to do with my authority? You'll see. We'll get there. John chapter 18, verse 33, he's standing before Pilate now. He's already been arrested, and he's on trial. Then Pilate, who is a government official, he is the governor of that area, a Roman governor, entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? He didn't ask him, are you the son of God? He didn't ask him if you are Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He didn't ask him any of that. It wasn't religious. It was political. See, a religious person would have just been crazy. Someone that calls himself the son of God, if you don't believe him, then he's just a crazy person. 
But to call yourself a king, now that's a real threat. So he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34. Jesus answered him saying, are you speaking for yourself? Or did others tell you this? What is he saying? He's saying, are you saying this for yourself because you think I might be a threat to you? Or are you saying this because everybody else thinks I'm a king? That's how much he talked about it. People don't just randomly think you're a king without you making it that big. I mean, I don't know, but I, you know, no one's, I, I, you know, I haven't been to Walmart and people are coming up to me saying, whoa, are, are you a king? Are, are, you the, are you a king? Not unless I stand there and say, I am a king. I have a kingdom. And they're going to obviously think I'm a crazy lunatic, which is the same thing they did to Jesus. But Jesus had signs of wonders that they're thinking, wow, this guy, there's something about him. He's actually drawing crowds. See, the crowds is what made the big deal. If you just have someone walking around calling himself a king, but it's not drawing any attention, who cares? But Jesus drew attention. He's got 20,000 people sitting on the side of a mountain listening to every word he's saying and skipping breakfast, lunch, and dinner to hear it all. To the point he's got to feed them. He's drawing crowds. He shows up in a town and everyone says, hey, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, Jesus is here. He bring the entire town out. Could you imagine Jesus coming to Valdosta and say he's, you know, down at, you know, the high school and the whole town of Valdosta come and show up and say, hey, Jesus is here. So much that they couldn't get inside houses. They're having to cut roofs off. This guy drew a crowd. So there was a threat. So Pilate's saying, so are you a king? This is why you're here. You're not here because they call you the Messiah. You're not here because you think you're the son of God. You're not here because I don't care about any of that. But if, you, if you're a king, now we've got an issue. And so he says, well, did you come up with that? Or did everybody else tell you that? 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. He's not denying he has a kingdom. He's not denying it. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. Watch this. For this cause I was born. For this cause... I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So what's he say? You're right. I am a king. And I do have a kingdom. It's not of this world. Which means it's not from this world. He's not saying that my kingdom won't come to exist here because he's already been preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. He's saying the kingdom that comes, it's not a threat to you because it comes from heaven. See, the kingdom of God doesn't threaten the United States government. It doesn't threaten the natural government. But it is a government that now controls my life because once you get in the kingdom, that's who calls the shots. You make God your king. And so Jesus says, yep, you're right. I am a king. And I do have a kingdom. 
and my kingdom's not of this world. If it were of this world, then my servants would fight for me, but no one's fighting for me. And so we know that he goes to the cross. We know that he dies. And we know that he's dead for three days. And then he rises again. What was that all about? Why did he have to die? The reason he had to die, and this is what we'll look at next week, is when we start talking about our authority. But I've got to finish up how we get that authority. The cross, see, here's the issue. This is why man in the Old Testament failed in their attempts to live in the kingdom of God. They're not in right standing. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, whoever has received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's what qualifies you. You got to be in right standing. Well, Jesus came, died on the cross to get you in the kingdom. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and brought eternal life, then you receive a right standing, a righteous position with God himself. Because remember what we said with Adam and Eve, you can't operate in the kingdom and have authority if you don't remain under authority. So Jesus made it possible for us to get back in the kingdom. Jesus died on the cross so that we could live in the kingdom of God, not so we could go to heaven. And I'll clarify that. But again, this is what I said at the beginning. I've got to tear down a bunch of stuff before I can start building something. But we've all heard Jesus died on the cross so we can go to heaven. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could go to heaven. That's like me saying, I bought a truck so I could have a radio to listen to my music. I went out, I, I wanted to listen to my music, and I wanted to have a radio, and so I bought a truck. No, I didn't buy the truck so I could get a radio. I bought a truck so I could get from point A to point B. The radio is a byproduct of getting the truck. Heaven is a byproduct of the cross. But it's not why Jesus died. Jesus died so the kingdom could come from heaven back into the earth and man could rule and control and dominate. Romans 5.17 is made possible by the cross. But we've taken our eyes off of this and we've focused on heaven. That's like me saying I bought my truck so I could listen to the radio. I bought a house so I could have a fireplace. <laughs> no, you bought a house so you have a place to live. I have a fireplace and it's a nice byproduct. You see, you, do we grasp that? We have to, that's the concept that we have to understand. That's what the kingdom changes. Religion has said Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose again so we could live in heaven one day. It's tried to get man from here to there. You know what the number one thing that Jesus fought his entire ministry? Religious people. 
He did fine with sinners. He did fine with people that didn't know anything about the law. and didn't know anything about trying to live right and do right. He did fine with those people. Tax collectors, they saw freedom. We just saw the legion. He saw freedom. That demon-possessed man wasn't thinking, well, I got to do a bunch of good things. He's just thinking, I need, free, I, I need to be free from this mess. And he wasn't throwing a bunch of religious stuff at him. The demon-possessed man wasn't saying, well, can I wash, do I need to wash my hands before I eat food? Or can I, can I eat on the Sabbath? Or can I work on the Sabbath? That's what the religious people were doing. How come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? How come you don't do this? How come you don't do that? It's all about religious duty to try to get in alignment when Jesus is saying, it's all about your heart, man. And so Jesus came, died on the cross, so you can now be that righteous person. And we've talked about righteousness and holiness, and righteousness is the position. In fact, look at this in John chapter 17. I know this is deep. This isn't, you, you can't go to Tropical Smoothie and get this. This is Longhorn right here. This is steak. This is, you got to have a good knife, and you're going to, you put some sauce on this stuff, and this is green beans and mashed potatoes right here, man. This isn't little froofy, drink it through the straw stuff. This isn't ensure, rip off the cap and swallow it. This is deep. I understand that, and that's why we're going slow. We're taking our time. John chapter 17, verse 15. This is Jesus praying right before he goes to the cross. This is the chapter right before what we read where he was facing Pilate. And he says this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He's talking about his disciples. But that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sounds like what he just told Pilate. I'm not of the world. My kingdom's not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. See, we make a big deal about Jesus. We make a big deal about everything he did and the miracles, the signs and wonders, the walking on water, turning water into wine, healing Deaf people, raising up dead people, casting out demons, casting out four to 6,000 demons out of one man. Make a big deal out of those things. But Jesus made statements that alluded to the fact that, one, I'm not the only one that should be doing this. And two, this needs to go on after I leave. Well, if you don't believe in authority... And the authority of the believer. And how are you going to cast out a demon? Because authority means you're authorized over a territory. If you don't believe you reign in life and rule in life, how are you going to tell sickness to get out of your body? How, how are you going to command money to come in when it needs to come in? That's why we're talking about authority of the believer. Because Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And when he said them, he said every disciple. Every disciple. 
I'm sending them into the world. Not just to talk about it. And you sure didn't mean I'm sending them into the world to just tell everybody that what I'm getting ready to do on the cross is get people to heaven. No, he meant, as you have sent me, the way you've put me in charge. Because nothing dominated Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the epitome of Genesis 1.26. He ruled the earth so much that he even was able to get a fish to show up with money in its mouth when he needed taxes. Why? I'm in control. What allows him to turn water into wine? Because the Bible says that we're supposed to have dominion over the earth and everything on the earth. Fish in the sea, birds of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth. Water is part of the earth. So he can turn it into whatever he needs it to turn into. Remember, we said, uh, you know, we're controlled by a lot of natural things. And we don't even realize it, but those things talk. And those things have control. We said, remember, we said money. Money has a voice. Money gets you out of bed when you don't want to get out of bed. Money will make you stay late when you don't want to stay late. Money will even tell you when to go on vacation. Money will tell you when to work overtime. Money will tell you to go, go into work. Money will cause people to talk bad about other people, to cut them down so they can get higher in their job. Money talks. There, and, and money is what? Paper. Paper comes from trees. I mean, there's, there's people that are controlled by nicotine. There's people that are controlled by alcohol. Alcohol comes from a plant, the hops. So we weren't supposed to be controlled and dictated. And you're not supposed to tell me when to spend my money. You're not supposed to tell me when I need a drink. You're not supposed to tell me when I need to light one up. You're not supposed to tell me that. I'm supposed to be in control. I tell you what to do. I command you. You're supposed to be working for me, not me working for you. And the whole system turned around. So Jesus shows up and says, well, I need to get to that boat. But I don't have a boat. So this water is now going to become a foundation for me. We need to get some wine up in here. And all we have is water. So this needs to be that tree ain't doing nothing for me, so I'm going to command it to wither up and die. That body is dead and needs to come back to life, so I'm going to bring life back to it. Those eyeballs aren't working right. Those ear sockets aren't working right. That mouth and that tongue ain't working right. That hand's all withered up, so I'm going to cause it to... What's he doing? He's controlling and dictating and, and having dominion over the earth again. Genesis 1.26. John chapter 14, verse 12, I didn't put it in there, but it says, uh, the things that I have done, even greater things you will do. You will do them and even greater things. I mean, how in the world can Jesus make those statements and we look over them and, and not look at that and not take it seriously? I mean, we're not even asking the question. We talked last week about questions that we come in the Bible. I got some other good ones. I, Dinosaurs is where it starts. Remember, that's the one question. Were there dinosaurs in the Bible? Was Jesus black? Did Jesus have a beard? 
was, is God a woman? These are the questions that we ask. I mean, Jimmy got asked a silly one today. That's the best questions. When I want to go through and I want to see John chapter 14 say, what did Jesus mean when he said that the things that he did, I would do? And even greater works. What did he mean when he said, go out and make disciples of all nations? What did he mean when he said, go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit and he will endue you with power from on? What did he mean? Those are the questions I want to ask. But again, we've minimized and we've watered down the, the Bible to where it's just a, you know, it's a fact book. Did you know there was a man that built an ark? Did you know there was a man that crossed, uh, you know, part of the Red Sea? And we talk about it like we can't do those things. We talk about it like we're not supposed to be able to throw our jacket on the water and it split the waters. Like Elijah. Uh, you know? I'm convinced that we're not seeing a lot of the things that we saw in the Bible because it begins with us, pastors, and we're not empowering and training people to do those things and to live that way and to, to think that way. We're not talking about the authority of the believer. We're just talking about get to heaven one day. But you have authority here on the earth. First John chapter 4, verse 17. Here's another verse. And when I read it, you're going to think, what in the world? You're going to think, you're going to wonder, where, where, where were these verses? <laughs> Did I bring a different Bible today? It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Here it is. Because as he is, so are we in the world. As Jesus was in the earth, so are we in the world. We've taken Jesus and put him on this pedestal, and sure, he's the son of God. He's the one that brought the kingdom back. He's the only one that could have restored the kingdom. But he did all that so you could follow suit. He spent three years demonstrating what the kingdom looks like because we had spent thousands and thousands of years forgetting what the kingdom looked like. And he spent three years and showed his disciples. And we have the details of it. John, at the end of his book, says... Man, you know, if the, the earth were our paper, if the sky was our, our paper, and the oceans were our ink, there wouldn't be enough to write down everything that Jesus did. Why? Because he had to spend three years of his life on earth showing people what the kingdom of God looks like because it had been eradicated out of our mind. We had no idea what that looks like. And so there is an authority and Jesus had authority, but it was because he was of a kingdom. It wasn't because he was some special person. It wasn't because he was a one of a kind. The thing that differentiated Jesus from anybody else was he's the only one that could go to the cross and redeem mankind back in the kingdom. But everything he did with his ministry up to the cross, he expects you and I to do. He doesn't expect you to be worried about anything. But that's your authority. It doesn't expect you to be overcome by sickness and disease and have it plague in your, your body and keep you from fulfilling your assignment on the earth. But that's the authority of the believer. It doesn't expect you to have a financial lack where you can't even take care of yourself, so forget about trying to take care of anybody else. But that's the authority of the believer. And so that's why we're talking about this. Because we look at Jesus' life and we sum it up in three days when he went to the cross 
in one moment, really. And then we don't even, I mean, could you imagine Jesus right now thinking, I just did all that to get people in a kingdom and to get them a better life on the earth, and all they want to do is just come to heaven. That's a disgrace. That's a disgrace almost. That's a disgrace. That's almost a slap in Jesus' face to say, hey, thank you for everything you did and thank you for everything you got me here, but I really just want to go to heaven. But we don't value the earth like God values the earth. We don't value the earth like Jesus valued the earth. Okay? Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. We're wrapping up. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority... Look, here's the two things that we were talking about. What do you need to rule in life? Authority and territory. And look what he says in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, we just read the verse, for 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. As he is, so are we in the world. So, If we are like Jesus in the earth, just throwing it out there, if we are like Jesus and Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, then we have all authority. Because as he is, so are we. Go, therefore, and make disciples, not converts. We're good at making converts. In fact, we're so good at it now that we just make a blanket blanket statement and we have the entire church pray the sinner's prayer and hope that the few that were in there got it, and then we just say, well, Jesus said, if you're ashamed before my father, then he's ashamed before you. And there's nothing to be ashamed of when you're coming into the kingdom. I'll tell you right now, there's people from Puerto Rico, there's people from Cuba, and there's people from all kinds of nations down there that they're not ashamed to do whatever it takes to get into this nation because they think it's got a better life for them because it's got more opportunity. This is everything they want. This is everything they're looking for. And they're not ashamed. And they'll row that boat, and they'll swim, and they'll do whatever it takes to get here. Because this is the land of opportunity. But yet we can't be bold about coming into the kingdom. Well, let's just all pray. And then if you're that person, we have a special trap door on the side that you can go around and we'll take you all the way around the building. You never have to see a single person. And then we'll have one specific person. We won't give them your name. We won't. Give me a break, man. We're excited for you. You're coming to live in the kingdom that we're living in. You're getting the authority that we're living in. You're getting the power that we're living in. I want to rejoice with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you. I want to help you grow up in that. We make converts and we say, 3,000 people were born again. Are there 3,000 people in your church the next day? You know, I mean, there's an evangelist that's wanting to come to this town. And I went to a meeting a while back, and, you know, saying, you know, 3,000 people were born again at this one event. Now I want to go up to them and say, give me the list of the 3,000 names. I want to call every single one of them up and find out how many of them are in church right now. I'm not saying they're not. But that's what's important. What we should be excited about is 3,000 people came into the kingdom and are now living the kingdom life. Because Acts chapter 2, they threw out numbers. 
It says, and 3,000 came to that day. But then it says, and they continued daily in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Didn't say we just made 3,000 converts and we threw them out into the world to go right back to what they were doing. 3,000 people came into the kingdom and then they continued daily in the apostles' fellowship and the apostles' teaching. Mark chapter, or, uh, Matthew, just to finish that up, you know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I am with you always in the end of age. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Same passage, just different wording. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If you're still questioning if you have the authority that Jesus has, he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And here it is. And these signs will follow those who are special. These signs will follow those who my father picks. No, these signs will follow those who believe. The qualification to have signs following your life is to believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Oh, no, no, I don't know about that. That's for, that's for certain people. Uh, healing, you know, that went away with the disciples. All those who believe, all those who believe, all those who believe, I believe, I'm qualified. I don't have to be a special person. I don't have to receive an, a vision from an angel that says, you can go lay hands on the sick. No, it says, all those who believe. Well, I don't know, I don't know about that. I, I don't know if you can do all that. Well, then you don't know the Bible. You don't believe the Bible. They will recover. Now watch this. So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of, the, uh, of God, right hand of the Father. Now, that's great. And here's where we're going to close because it's going to tie us into next week. Thank you, Jesus, for coming here and doing all those cool little demonstrations and dying on the cross so I can go to heaven. But I really wish you'd come back down here and, and heal me now because I'm sick. Really wish you'd come back down here and, you know, take care of these thoughts that are in my life. I really wish you'd come back down here and stop this storm from going on because you stopped the storm when you were here and so I need you to come back. That's where most of us are at because the authority of the believer is, I believe Jesus has the authority. <laughs> that's, that's about as far as we go. I believe Jesus can do it. I believe Jesus gave us the ability to do it because he's sitting down. And he's still sitting down today. He's seated. In fact, the Bible says he has a footstool. He has his feet propped up. You know when you're sitting down with your feet propped up, you ain't doing jack. You, are, you, got, a, you got a can in your hand. You got a Pepsi, and you are just laying back, relaxing. 
That's what Jesus is doing. Why? Because he gave you and I the ability to do it. He said, all right, my work's done. That's why when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. I'm done. I did my thing. And now you go. You go. You go. You go. You, you want to get rid of sickness? You do it. You need, fin- you need uh, finances in your life? You bring it in. You trying to get rid of depression and, and anger and hate? You do it. Okay, so he's seated. Watch this, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is where we will tie in to next week. And you, everyone say, and you. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. How many of you know we all walked according to the course of this world? Some of us may be a little harder than others, but we all did it, and it doesn't matter. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, who now works, now works. See, here's the thing, is Jesus gave us authority, but he hasn't relinquished authority from the devil. But just like with Adam and Eve, the devil's not the problem. The devil wasn't the problem. They were. Just obeying God was the problem. Who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And Paul knows all about that because he was killing Christians. So this isn't a man that was away from it. This was a man that was right in the middle of it. But watch this in verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Here it is, verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You just saw that Jesus, after he was ascended and went to heaven, went and sat down by the right hand of the Father. And that's great. That's awesome. Good for Jesus. But I'm still stuck down here. Well, no, he says right here that you, when you receive the mercy and grace of what Jesus did on the cross, he raises you up to sit with him in heavenly places. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus? Where Jesus is at is a position of authority. This is where we'll go next week because the chapter right before that, chapter 1, says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father and everything that is named is under his feet. That means, that terminology means he's in control. Nothing dominates him. If it's under your feet, then you're in control. Again, great for Jesus. And how many of you believe that everything is under Jesus' feet? The hands will go up. But then when I say, how many of you believe everything is under your feet? 
uh, I don't know, because I still have that cough, and I don't know, I just haven't been able to get my finances in order, and I don't know, I just, you know, I just still, you know, have that hate and that anger in my life, and I don't know, because, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm just depressed and insecure, and I just don't know. It's under his feet, and if you are sitting with him, it's under your feet. And in fact, where we're going to go next week is you're the body of Christ. You and I are the body of Christ. Okay, so this is my body. Okay, and I'm on this red little tile right here. And this is all of my body. Are my feet my body? Okay, so if it's under my feet, under me, Jesus, and you are the body of Christ. That means if the problem is right there on your heel, you're still the body of Christ and you're over it. You're in control. You dominate. You're in dominion. And that's where we'll go next week. Because we've got to tie the two together. We've got to tie the two together. You've seen God's original intent. You've seen his design. And he created the earth. He created the earth and he planned to put man there in charge. Man blew it. Man gave up that assignment. But now Jesus came back, not just as the Son of God, not just as the Messiah. He came back as the only one that could get the kingdom back in the earth. The only one who could get man back in control. And that's what he's done with the cross. And he's sitting down. And you ought to be sitting down with him. And so we got to start walking in some dominion. Amen? Some authority. You have authority. And you have a territory. And so we'll get into that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can take this time. Father, I thank you that your spirit is the one that illuminates this. I I don't want any of this to be too deep. I don't want any of this to, to be over anyone's head. So, Father... By your Holy Spirit, continue to quicken this within us as we meditate, the notes that we've taken, the the notes that we look at, uh, going back and listening to the message again. uh, Father, illuminate things within us. You, You said in your word that your words aren't, they're not naturally discerned, which means I can't be smart enough to grab a hold of it. I can't think about it enough and, and have a big enough mental capacity to be able to grab it, but they're spiritually discerned. That means your Holy Spirit speaking inside of me. I can be reading the word and you show me, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what that has for me. So, Father, your Holy Spirit, I thank you, is beginning to quicken us, beginning to illuminate the word within us and that we can go deeper, we can go farther, we can go uh, deeper in your word than we ever thought we could. Father, we're excited about learning about this authority, learning it, so we can then apply it because you called us to do more on this earth and just walk around and hopefully wait for heaven. There's more, Father, and we want to walk in everything that you have. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.